Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, this week's topic of the week, we're going to be discussing the future of energy and geopolitical consequences. We're going to get straight into it because there's a good amount to discuss um, in this one. Yeah. I'm aware that we are all concerned about the future of our energy. Um, some fear that we will run out of oil and other fossil fuels. Some believe that green energy tech is still expensive. We still haven't found out what we're going to do. So there's a lot of concern. And that's why we're here right now to address this concern and discuss what the consequences are geopolitically, economically. Oh, we're gonna hit. We're gonna hit everything. Yeah. So just to start off by saying, by just going into the oil conversation, nobody knows exactly how much oil is left. Period. Ah, there's a bunch of reports that say many different things. Some say we'll be out of oil in the next ten years. Some will say we'll be out of oil in the next forty-seven years. Some say we won't run at all. It's hard to calculate how much oil we have left because we still have a lot of unproven reserves that still exist in this world. Personally, I believe we're still secure for another hundreds of years. Yeah, I agree. I think like maybe not in our generation. Our next generation will be okay, but like maybe of like our second generation. Yeah. Well, is we're gonna start seeing problems. But there's just still a lot of undug oil. So there is. Um so the energy security term has been coming up in recent years. Um, hasn't really been talked about a lot since, you know, the Bush administration and before that would be the Nixon administration. That was where kind of in, in the American context where energy security, that, that term was coined. Right. And before it meant getting as much oil as possible and, you know, having resources to back it. Um, this is going to have to, this is transitioning. I'm not saying it has to, it is transitioning to a more a diversification right. mindset of oil, especially in the scholar realm, um, that they're looking at. And I, I, I agree with Alec. I think we have enough oil for, I would say at least a hundred years, um, at the lowest amounts of, um, speculation. But this term is coming up because, well, mainly, you know, COVID-19 is a big one, but the biggest one has been the war and um, the war with Russia and Ukraine. And then um, OPEC recently cutting back on barrels that they're going to be producing, um, transitions from Saudi Arabia going to China, Russia, um, not listening to the United States and Europe. So this is an interesting one. Um, we all knew the transition was going to be rocky. I mean, let's be real. I mean... Oil has so many geopolitical consequences. I was going into Kuwait, United States going into Iraq, you know, Russia going into Syria, yada, yada, yada. It keeps going on, right? But the, ne the next transition that's rocky is going to be, you know, renewables, the energy security of renewables. And so in a foreign affairs article, The Age of Energy and Security, there's four broad principles that he brought up. Um, who's the author? The author is two authors, Jason Bordoff and Megan L. O'Sullivan. The four principles for the new age of energy security is diversification, resilience, integration, and transparency. Mm, Interesting points, in my opinion. Transparency huh. is one I don't really get. But the rest of them I do. I understand. That. I think by transparency, can you, can you um give me that those four again? It's uh, diversification, resilience, diversification, resilience, integration, and transparency. Integration and transparency. I need to write these down because these are good good points to look at. They're good. So pillars. what I what I think they mean by transparency is looking at the benefits 
and also being transparent about what the actual output is of mm. renewables. Okay. This is what I think of when I when I see transparency because you have to be transparent about the data. You have to be transparent about what's going on with renewables. Because then you need to you need to understand what has gone wrong, what has gone right. You need to reflect on it, but you can't kind of how do I say this? Cover the facts with like goodies, like oh yeah, we're doing good. Yeah. Well, well, how are you doing good? Like how what's going well? So if you're transparent about the data that comes out of integrating green text into the uh, the grid, you can learn what needs to be done more or less to secure. Um, energy security. So I Absolutely. think that's what they mean by transparency. Yeah, and the fight for resources um, and how it's upending geopolitics. Uh, it's always been like that in, in the oil business, but for net right now, the world is divided on how we transition because the develop yeah. the developing world is like you guys. The developed world got their chance to you know run their fossil fuels dry. Why don't we get our opportunity to develop and then we can go towards renewable? And then the developing world is like, well, we can you know, help out. And but they're like, how? We never have an answer. We never have, the United States never has an answer. China never has an answer. Let me plunder your country for resources. Yeah. That's going to be their only answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and just divide and conquer their resources. So these four principles in a perfect world are great. I mean, diversification is so important. We need oil. We need gas. We need solar. We need wind. Yep. We need uh, hydro, nuclear, um, and other forms that could come in the future. Resilience is important. One of the biggest problems, um, especially in the United States, we saw with the recent freezes in Texas in 2021 and 2022, how freeze can just the power grid. Mm-hmm. Same in Europe. If it gets too hot or too cold. We cannot keep up. They, they, they cannot keep up in Europe. And integration is an important point too. How are we going to integrate it into the into the not just the um the grid but the economy? Yeah, big one. How are we going to get the jobs? What's the next shift in education towards these jobs? Um, where are we going to put them? Yep. Are we going to replace things? And then the transparency one. You, you made a good point. How are we going to tell the public? You know how is it working? Because let's think about that for a second. If they go out and they do all this work, and then they come back and they say, "We fucked up, guys. It's not working." What's the public gonna say? Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! That's gonna be huge. Go back to oil. We need oil. Complete reversal. Backtracks. Yep. And so that that's a I, I I can understand that issue. The transparency, like we need to be transparent, but like if we're too transparent, eek, eek, yeah. the average person doesn't understand this stuff, that unfortunately. I do want to go back on your resilience point. What what was the way that the foreign affairs defined resilience again? I you mean, brought it up. You said it was resilience through because when I think of resilience in implementing green tech, I'm thinking of sticking to research and development, being constantly resilient in dealing with the defeats of not being able to learn something not being able to discover something. I think as we diversify, we also need to be resilient. The, the obviously the the gr- the grid needs to be resilient to the changing um to the to change to the shift from oil to green tech, but we also have to be resilient uh psychologically mm-hmm. through our research and development. Absolutely. That's I think resilience is 
these are pretty broad points, but they target a lot of things. Yeah, and the other thing they were looking at in resilience standpoint is how they stand up to natural disaster or yeah. how they stand up to just average so everyday. resilience kind of targets two things here. Yeah, and how they so, stand up to average everyday, you know, maintenance facility things. Yes. You know, expenses. Maintenance stuff like is going to be huge. Yeah. That's a big one because we, we we already don't in the United States specifically don't have enough workers to keep up with maintenance. And that's for one reason economy's down now. The other reason we don't pay them enough. Yes. They definitely deserve more. These are engineers who a lot of them have master's degrees are getting paid 60 70 k a year i mean you're gonna sit there and, and say well that's higher than the average but it's like they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a master's degree and bachelor's degree i think they also a little bit more also leading the process for the next yeah next like level essentially in energy security so they need more they maybe more. this is a this is a high-risk job yeah they, their their job depends their job it's important for us going in the sewers, you know, fixing poles, going underground to uh, fix underground systems. Yep. You know, is, even in even in maintenance, these green energy tech. Now you have to go back into school because they are so used to existing maintenance that that works on uh, the grids. They had to relearn everything. They have to relearn now. Okay, well now we have green tech. We need to go back and we need to relearn how to use this. What are the parts? What do we need? What don't we need? What should we focus on? So, yeah, it's an interesting one. And and here the geopolitical problems um, that that bark is the the difference between the West and the rest, and even the East. You know, with with uh, China specifically in Russia, who rely a lot on fossil fuel in India, rely a lot on fossil fuels. How do we? You know, figure out the differences. China has been very good lately. I will. They've been very good at saying that we're going to transition to try and get net carbon zero by 2050. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Uh, but it's a it's a good it's a good like I guess notion because I guess it gives the rest of those countries that they're following them like like North Korea, well, maybe not North Korea, but like like Russia and all them to maybe follow them in their example. Yeah, potentially. But that's the biggest problem is that there there's no one way that we all think we could go about it. Which is going to hinder our progress sometime. Even, even Europe and the United States don't have the, the similar view. No, we don't. We don't. Because if, you know, if the United States wants to go out and subsidize and incentivize creating green tech, the EU will be like, well, these subsidies and incentives are going to hurt our market. So we're still at a point where it's uh, everyone for themselves in a time where we have to deal with the possibility of a new energy crisis in the future because we're already in one now we can't get out of it but there could be another one in the future if we don't transition to green tech absolutely and having this divide is not not needed right now it's no. it's not this is far from what we need we need a globalized response absolutely and we need to kind of understand that Yes, we absolutely still need fossil fuels. That's that's not going anywhere in the near future. Oh, absolutely. But we also need to plan for the future because the future is incredibly important. You know, I, I'm a big person on um, that we need oil and we need it now. And we need to use it to lower the costs of living and help out with investments in green tech and energy. Because that's the only way that we can raise funds to do such a thing. Correct. And is it unfortunate the short run that we have to hurt the environment? Absolutely, but but we need a one way. We there. need money, and that's the only way we can get green tech money. Correct capital reinvesting, so, 
reinvesting is major. Uh-huh. Like, if we had these world leaders selling, let's say like OPEC. OPEC, some of the countries in OPEC have been good with this, where they take the money they make from oil and then they reinvest it and they subsidize or incentivize or somehow they invest in green tech, in the research and development of it. Yep. few countries. Qatar, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, UAE. They have been good at reinvesting that. Why can't we in the United States or the EU do that? Why? Why is it such a hard thought is my question. Yeah. I, are we doing it right now? Yes, because we are incentivizing and subsidizing it, but not in the way in which these Arab countries are. And we are doing it, but it's so like not clear. It's just not clear. So what are we doing in the United States specifically? Raising the debt ceiling to do it. I mean, Biden puts out the infrastructure plan. $600 billion. Where are we getting it from? Where is it coming from? I don't know. We need to, like, how can we just print and do this and just conjure up and pull it out of the air and say, all right, we got $600 billion. You know, that's not fiscally smart to do. But what is fiscally smart is investment to reinvest, and that's oil. Correct. And and I've said this how many episodes now. We have a trillion dollars of oil in the United States. Let's tap into it and figure out what we can do with it. Become net exporters. Um, whether you like Trump or not, in the Trump administration, for the first time in a long time, we were net exporters of energy. That is huge. Not only huge for the United States, but for our partners yep. who need it. And I mean, at this point in time, they need it. And we can even use everything we made off of that to be net exporters of green energy. Why don't we have everyone plug into us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Or use our technology that we invent. Here's, here's another thing uh, I was reading. That the, the, a lot of conservatives in the United States specifically are afraid of transitioning too quickly because of the reliance of green tech and Chinese companies. Chinese companies dominate green tech markets, apparently. I did not know this. Um, but they, they apparently dominate the green tech market. And now, all of a sudden, in another sector, we if we move too quickly, we rely on China instead of incentivizing that in the United States. Yeah, here it is. Many American officials worry, however, that a more accelerated energy transition will necessarily involve greater dependence on China, given its dominance in clean energy supply chains. Even U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, who is a, um, he's a Democrat, but he's more in the middle, Warned that he did not want to have to wait in line to buy car batteries from China. Right. Neither do I. No, I don't think anyone else wants to. Yeah. So, you know, we we need to incentivize this new innovation in our country. Right. And and, and again, I will I give I give Joe Biden a lot of credit with the the chip um act that he created. And bringing them back, yeah. Build ships back in the United States. But that's that's just the tip of the spear. We need batteries, we need to bring oil, we need to have energy exports we also come need out. Partnerships too. Partnership. I don't understand why we look at the EU as someone we're competing against when we need to be competing with against the world. Seriously. The US government has taken such an interesting look at our EU partners. We see them as a military ally, but not an economic ally. We have like almost no trade deals with them, don't we? And we have a lot of trade disputes with them. An unbelievable amount of trade disputes. It's like, they are our partners. They want the same thing we want. Why why can't we just combine mines as one Almost $40 trillion in GDP combined. Why do we have to compete economies? It It can completely oust any, like China. We just yeah, we together. can rapidly we can create these 
green tech rapidly too absolutely and also like of course there's a concern if we re- if we're too rapid then we're not doing it correctly and we might have to rely on china again to get some of the parts but if we incentivize we have, if we have incentivize if we if there's a us eu partnership instead of subsidizing and incentivizing the united states and the european union does it now it affects trade between the two and it hurts energy markets over yep. there then it's like we're not we we can't look at them as our as our competitors. Some of the greatest minds in the world reside in the U.S., reside in Canada, reside in the United Kingdom, and reside in Germany. Exactly. Even France. No, that's not a shot at France, but <laughs> that's not, but like even other UK countries, Poland, um, Spain, a lot of good scientists. Yeah. Italy, a lot of a lot of smart people. Switzerland, Sweden, even. That's going to sound crazy, but the Balkan region too. Mm-hmm. They're big on hydropower, yeah. believe it or not. And so they have, they, they've, they, they're perfected, I would say, hydropower. Not fully perfected, but understand it and can use it and can use this information, send it off. So there's developing countries that have used other means that are renewable and that should be brought up to the global stage and also should be into this conversation as well yeah, and why not yeah exactly why not they know something together? we don't and they don't and they don't know what we know and we have the money yep we can help like why not work it as a partnership i think that's an important thing i think the uk and the eu and the united states and canada could form a an energy partnership on fixing renewable on getting renewables to that oh, next absolutely. level and because and and to Think about it realistically. We all have the same goals, no, but do we all have similar goals? Yes. Just create the partnership. Do it. Figure out the details later. Because we can honor if we can bind ourselves together, the likelihood that we'll put our differences aside and figure out a common goal jumps extremely high. Right. Because the the leaders of the EU, the United Kingdom, and then the United States and Canada will just look at this and say, like, okay, we have a lot of money to do what we need to do. Let's just do it. Right. And and I think the the common goal now, especially under the Biden administration, how friendly they are with Europe um, and Canada, if you start that goal now, can just keep going and just keep spiraling into a good direction. Yep. I think one thing we're missing here into the conversation is nuclear. Yeah. I think nuclear is still an important conversation to have, even though in our last global developments we said that Germany is pulling back on the use of nuclear. But nuclear is still not yet ready to be to, to disappear just yet. Mm-hmm. France is still heavy on nuclear. Heavily reliant. Heavily reliant on nuclear. They've had no accidents. They're doing well. And most of their most of their infrastructure runs on nuclear. So mm-hmm. it's the reason why nuclear is so important because of how clean it is. The issue Absolutely. is the waste. But that's not to say there's current initiatives targeting what to do with the waste. As I said in my last in our last latest global developments, you, we said that you can recycle it. Yeah. The problem is it's like trying to deal with there was a good analogy I read online. Yeah. It's like trying to deconstruct salad dressing. Right? You have a bunch of things already in it. You have to take apart one by one and literally re-put the nuclear waste into the, the nuclear material again. Yeah. Mix it up again. So it's like trying to literally deconstruct salad dressing back into its, in, its individual liquid ingredient and doing it again. So, yes, it's time-consuming. It costs money. But it's an important part in our transition from fossil fuels 
to green energy. And it serves as a perfect mediator and a, a good flashpoint. Absolutely. And France, like you brought up, shows. I just looked up statistics. France is has 56 nuclear power reactors in operation. Jeez. And power plants account for 70.6% of total French electricity. And French and France has incredible electric infrastructure. I mean, their systems, their trains are never backed up. Unless it's, you know, striking. But their, their trains are never backed up. They, they were not the, the, the problem. Like, they weren't worried about losing power this winter. They just weren't. I mean, why would you when you have 70% of your systems on nuclear? You don't have to rely on anyone else. Yep. And they really... And 90% of France's electricity comes from low-carbon sources. So they're an example. And, and not that Germany isn't, because Germany is also a very good example as well. They rely on 44% of renewables. But Which is what our target... Everyone's around the world targeted to be. And, and I think the next target, I think the target for the, 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 the bridge should be nuclear. Yep. Because if France can do it, um, they're not a small country. They're a fairly large country. I think a lot of people can do it. I think Germany can do it. I mean, China is showing that they can do it yep. as well. South Africa is showing that they can do it. I think the United States should prove it too. Yep. It should work on it. So I have... I know, as I was doing my research, I was thinking of a good, like, pathway. Yeah. A good, like, I don't know, maybe a hundred-year pathway. Something yeah. like A long-term plan. So, the long-term plan I created here is, our first step is to cut back on oil. As we cut back on oil, we add more nuclear to the grid. So, it's kind of like, reduce one, but put one into the into the conversation. Re as, this, as this is happening, we research and develop more um, green tech, like wind, solar, etc., to make it more effective, efficient. Yeah. and powerful once we have created efficient green tech then we can start adding the newly developed technologies into the grid while cutting back our nuclear energy so now it's just like how we phase out oil with nuclear now we're going to phase out nuclear with these green tech but we're not going to phase it out completely what i think the goal should be the final goal should be and 70 percent of a grid to be powered by wind solar hydro etc for residentials and other small infrastructures while maintaining a 30% nuclear grid for high demand infrastructures like things like factories and other like massive infrastructures. And then I think the 70-30 balance yeah. is perfect. And then in my um, the the carbon emission, the car carbon sources could be the like reserve. You yep. know, like oil and natural gas. Reserves. And, yeah, the reserves. Yep. And so we're not using it on a day-to-day -day basis. Like but it's there in case one yeah. gets knocked out. And even nowadays, I mean, cars are so fuel efficient. Like they're, they, they, they basically almost have a net zero carbon outtake. And I think Porsche is working on a fuel where it's just like zero carbon emission, anyways. Yeah, like the hydro. I forgot whatever what it's, called. it's called. No, it's like literally gasoline, but it's like oh, zero carbon, carbon neutral gasoline yeah. type thing. It's so we'll we'll find other ways to use like these renewables for like cars or you know, buses, trains. Um, factories They'll, those will be things that will come in the future and i think what we we need to realize is that what what biden administration and um europe and all other administrations that the quick transition is not the way because if we do it too quickly we can lose out billions of dollars and people can get will suffer from that transition but it needs to ease it needs to ease we need to figure out what we can do before we start you know relying on things like fossil fuels right and it's like we need another like un goal 
Because we had the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah. Which, whatever everyone's opinion is, I think they're fantastic because it kind of highlights what our goals are as a world. Mm -hmm. You may not have to have them achieved by then or whatever it is because they're too realistic or whatever. I believe they're a good pathway and they're, they're a good conversation starter and a good direction in the right path. And we kind of need this new, after the 2030 sustainable development goals, after we get to that point, we did a new one where it's like only energy, only energy goals. Mm -hmm. Because the next thing won't be geopolitical uh, conflict, stuff like that. It's going to be all energy security. Mm -hmm. And I believe the next sustainable development goals should be everything energy. How are we yeah. going to get there? What to do, what not to do. And get specific, yeah. And get very specific. Because at this point, their broad goals are, I guess, part of the problem and why we're not um, in agreement on certain things. It's because we're too broad. They're too broad. They're too broad. And so I think if we can set out some specific goals, let's let's just let not not even let member states do it. Let's just let like the UN workers secretariat write it up. Not even we and have us vote on it. See it's happens. the politicians that are creating this. Because if we yeah. let independent researchers, scientists from all over the world create those goals, create those goals, yeah. it would be more Good effective point. because then it won't be politicized at the UN. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they're member states like to politicize things. Yeah, absolutely. Researchers, independent researchers, scientists, and all that don't politicize things because they don't have the fear of them representing the state. Because the moment they have this, they have to represent the state at the UN. The conversation changes. Absolutely. But if they're fully independent, then they can develop a concrete plan. That's a good point because they're, and also not, not only are they um, apolitical, but they're, they're the minds, they're the brains behind it. They yeah. can understand um, what to do. And if they can help essentially dumb it down for us and then have the, the money come in and the capital come in, that can change the game. If we can use, and and that's another big important thing in my opinion is this private public partnership Absolutely. for energy transitions, because the the government has capital, the 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 public's the private sector has more capital in the brains, the innovation, the wants to create profit, and we obviously need to re regulate a little bit of the profits, but that drive can be so important in an innovation to the next green tech. And, and transitioning our economies from oil to green. Yep. That's important. Yep. Do you have uh, anything else to add on this? Or no, yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good. So I think we try to we hit as much as we can about what we think the future of energy is. Um, are there going to be bumps in the road as time goes on? So yes. it's always rocky. It's always rocky, especially with energy. And yeah. with the Russia-Ukraine war, it has showed us that we still have a lot of work to do mm -hmm. to address energy insecurity. And we have a long way to go. So our energy price is going to stay high temporarily. Yeah. No. Oh. Oh, for now. Oh, for now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, after the oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Because yeah. we're going to have oil. Yeah, but right. Will they go back up again as, as over time? Yes. I, I do believe that unless we have efficient um, green tech. Because if I were to install solar panels on my house, it would literally cost me as much as a, as if I were just to stay plugged in. Normally. So what's the point? There's no, It's not efficient enough yet. Yeah. So, and it's not just like from what I've done. It's all testimonials from a bunch of different friends who have gone solar. The cost has been maybe like 
and twenty dollar difference a month. And that's and just not. It's just. It's just not enough. Especially it, if it's like not a sunny day go. for yep. a long time, and it can affect the, how like everything runs. Absolutely. So we still have a long way to go, but for now we're okay because after this war ends, we'll have oil with the Willow Project in Alaska. We're going to be thinking of oil um, for the time being until we continue to pour money into green energy investments. Yeah. Um, so the future of energy, right now we're okay, but the future is still shaky. Mm -hmm. That's that's our takeaway Definitely. you guys here. But that's not to fear. We're not, yeah. the world is not going to end. Yeah, absolutely. Not. Yeah, no, the world's not going to end. We're, we have, we'll, we'll, we have energy. We'll, we'll, have, get, we'll always have energy. It's just the cost could be high. Yeah, we'll that's be, what we're saying. When we always get close to something that's like a crisis like this, the world comes together. It always does. It always the world has. comes together when it becomes a crisis. Never before. Yeah, never but, before. But I mean, two thousand eight, we pulled out better than what we should have um, in many many retrospects. Yeah, <laughs> we pulled out. You know, booming. I mean, from twenty from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty till the COVID. Yep, we were roar, roaring. Yep. Like we were on pace to do a lot of things until COVID happened. A lot yep. of good things. So hopefully, we have that rally again mm -hmm. I, I for the too. next eight nine years, and it's all green tech, all everything green energy. I hope so. That'll be great. So, Excuse me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening in on this week's topic of the week. Um, stay tuned to our social medias because we do post anything um, important um, and that needs to be out there on there first. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Well, good one, guys. That, thank you.